Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. So beautiful. It makes you just want to sit there for a little bit longer and reflect. And um, I thank you, everyone. Beautiful Carol. Beautiful story. It's funny, isn't it, how you can do something at the last moment like that and it's profound because the Holy Spirit's working there. And it introduces perfectly what we're talking about today. Today it's um, we start the season of Advent. And Advent is the four weeks leading up to Christmas and uh, in this season, it's, it's, Advent is, actually means coming. It's the anticipation of the coming of Jesus. And even though we know he was born, um, we're, it, it's, we're anticipating, celebrating that. We're actually anticipating his second coming as well, to know that he is coming. And this whole carol, Silent Tonight, just reflects on that amazing night where Christ was born. Uh, we're calling this whole theme God with us. So before I go on, I'd just like to pray for us all that our hearts would be open to receive that um, we would understand and know that God wants to speak to each one of us personally and that we would be ready to hear what he wants to say. So, Father, thank you that you are here, that as we celebrate God with us 2,000 years ago, we celebrate God with us today. We thank you that you're very present with us in this room, that each one of us is here, not by mistake, but because you've drawn us somehow mysteriously, you've brought us all here today because you love to engage with us. And so, Father, we pray that today we will open our hearts and minds to engage with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we're looking at today, over the next four weeks, we're looking at different aspects of Emmanuel, which means God with us. And um, today we're looking at the incarnation. So the incarnation, if you're here for the first time and we have this big word, sometimes we like to use big words because they actually have powerful meaning, but after a time you forget what they mean. So the word incarnation, the, the word carne comes from the Latin word which means flesh. So basically it means the enfleshment of God, if you like, or God being manifest in flesh or being made visible in the flesh. You actually get to see God. That is profound when you think about it because you have the God who made the heavens and the earth, who put the stars and the moon in their place, who put the sun in its place. We all orbit around the sun and everything fits perfectly together, became flesh. So this is incredibly significant. We can be, it can be just a nice little time, presents, food, trees, holidays and fun. But it's so good to spend a few weeks actually preparing our hearts for what we're celebrating, to start that celebration now and to understand what it means, this incarnation that Christ was born. So I just want to tell you tonight, um, go through five things that I think are really important about understanding the incarnation and believing that in at least one of them, God is going to speak to you and hopefully in all of them. The first thing is this, that the incarnation was not the beginning of the story. I, um, I knew a lady once who was a um, preacher in America and she said she visited a church and they sang a worship song then that was a current one and she just loved it. And she went up with, for dinner with some of the team afterwards and she was saying to the worship pastor, I love that song. We sing it in our church all the time, but you just haven't got it quite right. I should get my worship pastor to show you how to play it. And he said, I actually wrote it. Sometimes in your own life, you, you, you know, you discover something, you think you discovered something, you just say, say to someone, guess what I discovered? I discovered this movie and you think, 
that's been on uh, that that was 2010 that movie was made oh okay I didn't realize that it's like for you it's the very first thing it's an exciting thing but sometimes you're just joining in the story the story's actually been going on for a long time and sometimes when we come to discover Jesus and starting with his birth we think that was the beginning of the story and because we think it's the beginning of the story it becomes the beginning of our story but one thing that we have to know about this is that the incarnation is not the beginning of the story and it's not the beginning of God's story and Rick Warren, oh, sorry, before I go to Rick Warren, it says in John 1, 1 to 3, in the beginning, way before Jesus was born, in the beginning was the Word and the Word is Jesus. So he's called the Word because the Word is, uh, there's two words for Word in the Scriptures. There is the um, the Logos Word, which is the written Word, and the Rema Word, which is the active, powerful Word. And he is the active, powerful Word. So at the beginning of the world, it says God spoke and he said, let, let there be light. So God speaks with his words and things happen. And you see that all through the New Testament when Jesus um, heals people. He does it with his words. And so it says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. So he is part of God in communion with God in fellowship with God and he was God. He was with God in the beginning, way before creation happened. Through him all things were made. So now creation's happening. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. And then in John 1.14 we read the word, this creator God who brings life and light to everything became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. Why would God, who created everything, we want to become one of his creatures? That's what he did. He became one of his creatures, one of his creation. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When John writes that, we have seen his glory. This is the beginning of John's gospel or John's story of knowing Jesus. And he says, after knowing him, we have seen his glory. We know that he is the Son of God and we want to pass that on to you. And that this is, this is something that changed their lives. These guys, John and the other disciples, understood fully from the depth of their being that Jesus in the flesh was God, so much so that they were willing to give their lives for that because that relationship and that faith in him had transformed their lives and has since transformed the world. And so this, before time began, the word existed and then the word became flesh. So why is it important to understand that that's not the beginning of the story? Rick Warren wrote a best-selling book called The Purpose Driven Life and it starts off with this, it's not about you. How do you feel when you hear that? First line of a book, it's not about you. You think, what? It is, everything's about me. Now, even though you say, no, no, I know everything isn't about me. But if you look at your prayers, you look at your thoughts, you look at your plans for the day, how much of it is about you. And what Rick says, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. When you get that, your personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, and your own happiness, your family, career, and your wildest dreams and ambitions all seem to fit into place. But it's not essentially about you. And even that, that's not saying you are not important because you are valuable because the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us so that he would know us. But you've got to get things in perspective. I read this um, once when I was doing um, the Grief Share course. It says, in the solar system, planets have a predictable orbit because the sun is a stable gravitational centre. 
Imagine what would happen to those planets if the sun suddenly disappeared. And it has a little diagram of the sun and the planets orbiting around and then the sun disappears and everything goes out of orbit. The reason it's important to know that it's not about you is that when, when, when you think everything is about you, you think things orbit around you or you put things in place that you orbit around. People, jobs, careers, happiness, fulfilment. And when they go, you spin out of orbit. That's why that is in the grief share course because what happens is when someone dies, your life spins out of, out of orbit. And so our, our lives must centre around what is eternal and what is good and is true. And then as it says in, Ma- in Matthew 6, you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. Everything falls into place. So it's essentially not about you. And that's why it's important to know that the incarnation is not the beginning of the story. It's God entering into your world. It's God entering into my world. It's God entering into the human story for reconciliation, to restore us to him so that we can get everything in its right order. And once you understand that, a sense of humility comes upon you because you understand that God, in his understanding of everything, looked at us and understood our need for us because he created us and he broke into time from eternity so that we could know him, we could be reconciled to him. Secondly, the incarnation is powerful in that it actually shows what God is like. People want to know what God is like. People look at the Old Testament and and then the New Testament and they say, well, which is the real God? If you want to know what God is really like, you look at Jesus because Jesus is God in the the flesh. If you want to get a real picture of, of who God is and what he's like, you go into the scriptures and read more and more and more about Jesus. Meditate on the Gospels and you'll find out what God is like. Here's a few little examples. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man, which is himself, came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what you discover through the incarnation is the character and the nature of God. And the character and the nature of God is that he created everything. He has power and majesty over everything. That's his power and his ability. But in his nature, he is willing to come and to serve us, the ones he created. He's willing to come and serve us. That is what our God is like. He is willing to serve us. And so we who choose to be his followers say, we want to be like you. That means we want to serve others. Sometimes we as followers of Jesus need to pause and see if when we say I'm a follower of Jesus, are we really followers of Jesus? Because God who created the entire universe and created you um, came into the world, broke from eternity into time to serve you, even if you were the only person who ever existed. That That is the very nature of God. In Philippians 2, it says, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is what our God is like. The incarnation shows us what God is like. He was willing to humble himself to be born in a stable. He wasn't born in in a wealthy home. He was born in a stable and he was laid in a manger. It was an insignificant place to be born. He wasn't born to famous or well-known people. He wasn't born into wealth and privilege. He was born into relative poverty. He was born into an insignificant family in an insignificant town. And he was willing to reduce himself for that, for the sake of humankind. That is what our God is like. Thirdly, the incarnation reveals this, that God has a master plan. If you feel that your life is out of control and things are random and God doesn't care and you don't know what's going on, 
the incarnation is incredibly powerful because hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born, it was prophesied that he would be born. God always had a master plan. It was prophesied that he would even be born in Bethlehem to a virgin. It was all told beforehand and people were waiting for the fulfilment of this promise. So when Jesus is actually born, what we understand is not only did the story begin before you began, not only did the story begin before the world began, but God had a master plan all along. And to, as we look at this and understand that God has come to in, come into our world to reconcile himself with us or to reconcile us with him, that God cares enough for you to come and be his servant and that God comes um, with a master plan, you start to realise that life is more secure than you thought. We may have lived through a pandemic and a whole lot of other things that are happening around the world. We may live through wars and floods and fires and famines and hot days and economic insecurity, but God has a master plan. We read in Isaiah 9, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This was part of the master plan, prophesied hundreds of, before, hundreds of years before. Isaiah is one of the prophets who predicted the birth of Jesus. And he tells you a lot about Jesus. Firstly, that he comes as a child. Because you know that he comes as a child, you, you know the end of the story. But Isaiah didn't know the end of the story until the Holy Spirit told him that, that God would come as a child. Who would have thought he would come as a child? People would have thought he would come as an invading king or prince or someone who's going to take control of the world. But he came as a child and his name is called Wonderful Counselor. This tells you more about his character and nature. He cares for you and he wants to sit and listen to you. I look at um, Christine sitting down here. She is a wonderful counselor. She's not the one with the capital letters, but she's a very good counselor. And what I love about Christine when I sit and talk to her is that she just listens. She just listens and has an incredible heart for me. And yet we have Jesus who is the wonderful counselor. You can talk to him. I was talking to someone this morning who was telling me a really dreadful situation in their life and they just sat and cried and they said, I shouldn't cry, you know, I shouldn't. I said, no, you're actually allowed to cry. God can cope with your tears. He is a wonderful counsellor. He wants to hear you. He wants to draw near to you. He wants to wrap his arms around you. He's also the mighty God. As we come to him, the wonderful counsellor, we have the mighty God who is there to fight for us. He's the everlasting father. He's not just a mighty commander. He is your father. He calls himself. He chooses to call himself father. He could give himself any name, but he chooses to call himself father because you belong to him and he is the prince of peace. So you have this amazing thing first with this incarnation so far. We have the fact that it's not the beginning of the story, that, that you are brought into, you are being brought into God's story rather than God being brought into your story. So when you become a follower of Jesus, you're brought into God's amazing story that works out that every, where you win in the end just because you're with him. When you come to Jesus, you discover what he's really like. Through the incarnation, we see what God is really like. We realise that he has a master plan that we can be part of. We realise too, as you, as you look at this incarnation, that it is mysterious. It is mysterious. How can God, who created the universe and has all power and is omniscient and omnipresent and omni... Tell me the third one. Oh, 
omnipotent. Yes, sorry, thank you. Which means he's all-powerful and all-knowing and he's everywhere. How can he become a baby? How can he do this? And when you look at this, sometimes this is where people fall over. But you know what? If you could work God out totally, you would be God. God has to have some element of mystery about him. You actually have to, as Jesus said, you've got to ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Life with God is a journey and you'll always be learning more. And if you think you've got it all wrapped up, if you think you've worked out all the doctrines and you've got it all nailed, you haven't. Because if you have, you are God. It's a a humbling journey when we realise we are entering into his story, not him into ours. He is the God who is the one who comes to serve us and we simply come to be like him and to serve him and to serve one another. And we have to understand that we will never totally understand him. We just have to keep surrendering to him. In Deuteronomy 29 it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. In other words, there's some things that we will never quite understand. There are secret things. And one day when you stand before the Lord, they will all become apparent. And I read a book once about a lady who, um, who died and um, she came back to life again because she wrote the book, obviously. But um, she said, you know, you hear when people are dying that their life passes before them. And she said, what happened to her? It wasn't just that like a sequential life passed before her. It was like everything started to fit into place. She remembered the the boy at school who'd been bullying her and she saw him, but she saw his life as well. And suddenly overwhelming forgiveness for him was filling her. And it was like everything fitted into place. And she started to understand everything. She had to understand why he did what he did. And she was suddenly able to forgive him as she moved closer and closer into the presence of God. There are things that you will never understand. You will never understand about people and why things happen and why people do things. We just come and surrender to God. So this whole incarnation being a mystery shouldn't be a stumbling block to us because we have to understand that God is greater than us. It's far greater than us. And the mystery is something powerful. And you will spend your life getting to know this mystery, this God who wants to be known, but there's always something mysterious about him. And there's something incredibly beautiful and powerful about that. And finally, the incarnation is necessary for salvation. Not that the incarnation itself brings salvation, but without the incarnation, there can't be salvation for humankind. Just think about this. There's something incredibly powerful in the fact that God became a person and the story there doesn't stop as a baby. He grows up to become a man and he grows up to live in the dust and the dirt and the mess of humankind. He sees the worst in people and he sees the best in people and he says in the scriptures he was tempted yet he never sinned. And in Hebrews 2.9 we read this about him. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honour because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Here's something profound. For you to have salvation, God had to come to rescue you and he had to taste death for you so that you would never taste death. And the only way he could taste death for you was to become a human being. So actually willingly, so even there's this beautiful story of this little baby being born, the whole story of this baby being born is Jesus willingly becoming that baby, knowing that he would grow up to become a man who would be crucified, who would taste death, knowing that death was going to be agonising. And he knows it's going to be agonising because we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane praying and dripping, sweating drops of blood 
before anyone else knows he's about to be crucified, as he's praying in the garden that night, he knows he's going to be crucified. And there's an agony that comes with that to know what's about to happen. If you've ever laid in bed worried and afraid about something that's going to happen the next day, you know what it's like to anticipate something that is going to be bad. And he's that night he's praying, anticipating something that is going to be bad. But he came purposefully to do that. So he had to be born so that he could taste death. And then secondly, as we read in Hebrews 2.17, therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. So Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice to take away the sins of, his, of the people. And so when we um, put our faith, as we say, in the blood of Jesus, the blood that was spilled for us, it's the, it's, it's the blood of God, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And he gave his life for us. He came to serve us. He came to show us what God is really like. Because people in this world, and you'll still find this today, have really strange ideas of what God is like. They think God is a harsh God and a cruel God and an unjust God and an unloving God. And Jesus said, I'm coming to show you what God is really like. So if anyone asks you what God is really like, we point them to Jesus. We point them to the God who would come and give his life and spill his blood for us. So the blood that was spilled on the cross is the blood of of. God, the blood of the Son of God, who took on that body purposefully. He had to take on the body of a person to be able to give his life for you and me. And so without the incarnation, you couldn't have salvation. That's a profound thing. John Piper says this, The incarnation displays the greatness of God. Our God is the eternal God who was born in a stable, not a distant, withdrawn God. Our God is a humble, giving God, not a selfish, grabbing God. Our God is a purposeful, planning God, not a random, reactionary God. Our God is the God who is far above us and whose ways are not our ways, not a God we can put in a box and control. And our God is a God who redeems us by his blood, not a God who leaves us in our sin. Our God is great indeed. And so to finish up, just to, just to reflect on this, this whole thing, what do we do as a result of that? What do we do as a result of understanding that God has been there for eternity and he invites us into his story? God is a God who comes to earth to show us what he is really like so that we could be reconciled to him, so that we wouldn't be confused about what he's like any longer. God is a God who actually has a master plan for eternity and for your life personally. God is a God who is a mystery and he draws us to him all the time. And God is a God who gives his life for us so that we could be reconciled to him, so that we could have purpose, so that we could be satisfied in his love, so that we could have fullness of joy, so that we could know that we are not born by mistake and that we're not born just for a blip in time, that we're born for great eternal purpose. That is the God that we serve. So what do we do about that? You know, sometimes in the church when we talk about sin, we think we're talking about condemning people. But Jesus didn't come. It says in John 3, 17, God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. When we see God as a condemning God, that is not the God we serve. It's the one who comes to rescue. So what would we do? And it says in Hebrews 12, 1-2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, and just if you just think of that, you think of all the people who have gone before us who have encountered Jesus and, and now they're with him. And like that lady I told you about, the puzzle pieces are all in place and they just see how amazing he is and they're cheering us on. 
Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Because sometimes in this journey, there is something that holds you back from encountering fully what the God who invaded from eternity into time wants for you. There's something that is holding you back. There is a weight that slows you down. I don't know what your weight is, but all of us will have a different weight. Sometimes it can be an unforgiveness or a hopelessness or something that's caused bitterness in your life. Sometimes it can be a view of yourself that you've just grown up with that you need to get rid of to see yourself with different eyes. But whatever it is, there is a weight that every person has that will slow them down from reaching their full potential in what Jesus has come to, in the life Jesus came to give them. And especially the sin that so easily trips us up. You know, it's really easy to notice everyone else's sins. It's really easy to have a conversation where we all agree that we notice someone else's sin. But to recognise our own, sometimes our own sin is just so much part of us we don't even realise it's a sin. Sometimes it's your constant worry or anxiety, which is the sin of lack of faith in God. It doesn't always have to be something that has, fits into the classification of the top 10 sins. But the Holy Spirit shows us what it is. It is something. The reason you want to know those things are those things trip you up and slow you down. They stop you from reaching the fullness of life that Jesus has won for you. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. There's something about your faith that's mysterious. Jesus initiates it and then he perfects it. You go on this journey of your faith becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. And as you go on this journey, you have to constantly, not just once, but all through your life, recognize the weight that's slowing you down and the sin that so easily trips you up and keep getting rid of them so that you can run stronger and faster and become the person that you were called to become. And that's why God is with us. He's interested in your entire life and he's inviting you to be part of his story. And as you become part of his story, your life has a profound impact for eternity. So as the, uh, the worship team comes back up, just like to sit in silence for a moment and to reflect on that and to ask the Lord, is there anything in me, anything that's slowing me down or tripping me up, anything that's stopping me? Is there a lack of faith? If you have a lack of faith, just ask God to increase your faith. If you have a lack of hope, ask God to restore hope to you. If you have a lack of, of understanding of belief in his love, ask God to give you that deeper belief in his love. You don't have to struggle and strive within yourself to find these things. Just come to him, lay them on the table before him and say, this is the weight and this is the sin. And he says, give it to me and let me deal with it. So let's just close our eyes, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us.